0: If I were to ask you to picture a judge, I wonder what sort of image or person might come to mind. Perhaps you'd think of someone who's dressed in in, in long, flowing red robes, edged perhaps in, in white fur, wearing a white wig, sitting in a court of law. Uh, another extreme, perhaps you'd think of uh, someone in a careworn cardigan, in a marquee, uh, judging a local gardening show, uh, judging the size of the Marrows, perhaps. Or if we turn to our television sets, we have plenty of opportunities, don't we, to see judges in action, whether your particular brand uh, of that is Strictly or Bake Off or The Apprentice or whatever. Uh, We see lots of different images of uh, judges in action. And they're not necessarily all bad. And they're not necessarily all good. And we come to these words of Jesus today, uh, where Jesus says very directly, Do not judge. Do not judge so that you will not be judged, he says. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. These are uh, really well known. Words, or at least the first few words of this chapter are well known words. Do not judge. We often hear that from others, don't we? Who are you to judge me? Why do you think you are right and I am wrong? So, is Jesus really asking us to suspend our critical faculties in relation to other people? Are we to turn a blind eye to the faults in others, just pretending not to notice them perhaps? Are we to avoid all criticism and refuse to discern between truth and error, between goodness and evil? I would suggest that not to do so would contradict our very nature. We are made in the image of God, and that image includes the ability to make value judgments. Indeed, uh, throughout uh, these uh, verses that we've been looking at over the last few weeks. Throughout the New Testament, in fact, uh, there is so much uh, that is based on the assumption that we will, indeed we should, use our critical powers of discernment. For example, in the Sermon on the Mount, we have repeatedly heard the call from Jesus to be different from the world. He calls us to a righteousness which exceeds that of the Pharisees, to be more than, to go beyond others in the standard of love that we demonstrate to one another. Not to be like the hypocrites making a big show of our religious practice, of our piety. Not to be like the world in the things we value or in our ambition. How can we possibly obey all of this teaching unless we evaluate our own behaviour, and indeed the behaviour of others, if we're to differentiate ourselves from them. And moreover, in this very chapter that we're looking at today, the command not to judge others is followed almost immediately by two further commands. To avoid giving what is holy to dogs or throwing pearls before pigs, we read in verse 6, and we'll come back to that later. And then later on in verse 15, to beware of false prophets. And it would be impossible to judge either of these commands without using our critical faculties. So what did Jesus actually mean and what's he getting at here? Let's back up a bit uh, and just refresh our memories about the context, the outline of this Sermon on the Mount. I believe we're to read this as a coherent piece of teaching rather than a mere collection, perhaps random collection, uh, of different sayings uh, by Jesus. It's a piece of coherent, well-reasoned teaching. And so there are threads that hold this together. In chapter five, we began the Sermon on the Mount a few weeks ago, reflecting on the coming of the kingdom of God. Jesus there is teaching what that means. He's explaining the sort of people that would find access to God's kingdom. Then in chapter 6 we saw Jesus teaching about the fatherhood of God, his care, his love, his provision for us and a sense of freedom, freedom from worry, freedom from anxiety that that would bring to us. And now today we transition into chapter 7. What is the theme underline here? Well, I'd suggest it's about the judgment of God and the impact that this makes on the way we live, our relationships with others and our relationship to God. And we have to acknowledge there's a tension in holding God as father and God as judge, but this is where Jesus is taking us. So again, that question, what was Jesus getting at when he said, do not judge? In a word, I think it is, do not be judgmental. The word that Jesus uses here is a word carrying so often the connotation of to condemn. That's what he's really driving at. The follower of Jesus is still a critic uh, in the sense of using his powers of discernment, but not A judge in the sense of condemning or being judgmental. And judgmentalism, what does it look like? It has several aspects, I would suggest. It means that we judge others harshly rather than assessing them even-handedly. It means we look for faults in others, being negative and destructive towards them. We would have a tendency to actively seek out failings in others. It would mean that we took the worst possible view of the motives of others. It would mean that we were lacking in generosity towards the mistakes of others. These are the things that Jesus is forbidding for us. And I think it's helpful as we begin to unpack this to recognise that this is so often perhaps uh, the result of unconscious bias in us, in us, our prejudices, our tendency to categorize others, perhaps by their external appearance or by their background, not treating others as individuals, each one made uniquely in the image of God. And Jesus says there will be consequences if we take that judgmental attitude. For in the way that you judge, you will be judged, he says, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. At the very least, by this, he must mean that as we judge others, as we take a judgmental attitude towards others, that is likely to rebound on others. Other men and women will judge us if we judge them. It reflects back on us. It gets us into a spiral of mutually assured destruction. But I believe further than that, the use here of the passive tense in the original language is used by Jesus to indicate that God is also playing a part here behind all of this. Ultimately, he is our judge and we will stand before him one day. The implication is that just uh, as he will forgive those who forgive we saw that uh, in uh, in the previous chapter uh, of of this sermon on the mount he will condemn those who condemn others god deals with us according to the way in which we deal with others and that is a sharp warning at this point in the in the teaching of jesus And this is highlighted by another story that Jesus tells later in chapter 18 of Matthew's gospel about a man whose debts are forgiven. But rather than forgiving those who owe him a debt, he goes and pressures them, pressurises them to repay their debts to him, even though his has been forgiven. And ultimately he is dealt with very harshly. And the proverbial saying that we read here uh, the measure you give will be the measure you get is one that occurs commonly in jewish literature of the time and it was always used to indicate that notion of divine judgment and so it underlies this point that ultimately we stand judged by god worse than that I believe that to be judgmental of others is to claim a competence and authority to sit in judgment upon others, which is not ours to take. We are not qualified to be the judge of our fellow human beings, for we can't read each other's hearts or assess the motives of others. To be judgmental is to presume arrogantly. that we anticipate the day of judgment, to usurp the prerogative of the divine judge. In fact, that we try to play God. And so Jesus moves on to underline uh, this by telling this rather short but amusing little anecdote. He says, why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye and behold, the log is in your own eye. Jesus has talked quite a lot about eyes uh, in this sermon. And the underlying uh, theme there is that the eyes uh, in some way expose our hearts or they're used as a metaphor for our hearts. The eye reveals what's really going on on the inside. The eyes are the window to the soul, as some might say. And also, our eyes are the things that lead us into temptation. We're told not to look upon another person with lust. We're told not to look and be envious of what others have, not to covet the things that others have in our desire to accumulate worldly wealth. And so Jesus is saying here that were that. The eye is the source of a problem here, too. A judgmental attitude is all too often combined with a blindness to see one's own failings. Earlier, Jesus had exposed our hypocrisy in relation to God, namely calling out those who pray uh, on the street corners, who demonstrate their religious practice in front of others so as to increase their estimation in the eyes of others. And he said, no, that's not right. We seek God in secret. And now here he's exposing our hypocrisy in relation to others, namely that we meddle uh, with the minor misdoings of others while failing to deal with our own more serious faults. We have a fatal tendency, I believe, to exaggerate the faults of others and minimize the gravity of our own. We seem to find it impossible when comparing ourselves with others to be strictly objective and impartial. I suspect I'm not the only one who perhaps has a a rather too rosy view of myself at times uh, and a rather more critical view of others. It's a snare that we often get entrapped by. Perhaps we even see our own faults in others and like to point them out, perhaps because it makes us feel better about them. What instead Jesus is calling us to here is that to apply to ourselves at least as strict and critical a standard as we would apply to others. And then he goes on, in verse 5, to say, You hypocrite. And those are somewhat scary words for a preacher. And as I read these, it has been uh, a prompt to me this week to go back and reevaluate my prejudices, my critical attitude at times to others. Where does that spring from? What in my heart needs to be corrected? You hypocrite, says uh, Jesus, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Here Jesus puts his finger right on it. We need to deal with our own hearts first of all before we can do anything with those around us. And and I think there's a sense in which this kind of hypocrisy is in some ways even more unpleasant because it's an apparent act of kindness. I'm trying to help my brother by taking that speck of dirt out of his eye. But actually, all I'm really trying to do is inflate my own ego by making myself feel better. So. Is Jesus simply forbidding us from meddling in other people's affairs and telling us instead just to mind our own business? I don't believe that is the case. The fact that judgmentalism and hypocrisy are forbidden to us does not relieve us of a brotherly or sisterly responsibility towards one another. On the contrary, Jesus was later to teach that if someone sins against us, our first duty, though it has to be said this is usually neglected, is to go and tell them their fault, just between you and them. And the same obligation is being laid on us here. To be sure, there will be circumstances when we are forbidden to interfere. And usually that is because there's a bigger foreign body in our own eye, which we have not removed. But in other circumstances Jesus actually commands us to reprove, correct, admonish one another. And it's clear here that once we have dealt with our own eye problems then we shall see clearly to deal with those of others. First take the log out of your own eye but Jesus doesn't stop there. He says then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye a bit of dirt in someone's eye is after all rightly called a foreign body it doesn't belong there it's always alien usually painful and sometimes dangerous to leave it there and make no attempt to remove it would hardly be consistent with love for one another and we should also perhaps Remember and reflect back on the teachings, the warnings that Jesus gave earlier in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter five, where he talked about teaching others to follow God's commandments and not encouraging, even perhaps by omission, others to relax God's commandments. We are to encourage one another to seek God, to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. We are to encourage one another in that. So it's evident that Jesus is not condemning criticism as such, but rather the criticism of others when we exercise no comparable self-criticism, nor correction as such, but rather the correction of others when we have not first corrected ourselves. And perhaps the best way to ensure that our hearts are right when dealing with others is to pray for them. This should be our priority, rather than rushing into action, speaking or doing. As throughout this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is setting a standard that is both high and healthy. Not only do we need to be as critical as ourselves, as we often are of others, but we are to be as generous to others as we always seem to be to ourselves. And then comes the sting in the tail. In verse six, rather startling words, Jesus says, do not give what is holy to dogs and do not throw your pearls before swine or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. We noted earlier there is a call here to make a judgment, to use uh, uh, critical facilities. It sounds startling, especially after this appeal for constructive, brotherly behaviour. But I believe it provides that healthy balance in these few verses. If we're not to judge others, finding fault with them in a judgmental, uh, condemning or hypocritical way, we are not to ignore the faults of others either and to pretend that everyone is the same. Both extremes are to be avoided. So what exactly is Jesus getting at? What is, uh, what are, uh, what is this? What are these holy things? What are uh, these pearls? Well, Jesus elsewhere tells a parable about a pearl of great value, which is found by a merchant. And the analogy there is clearly the things of the kingdom of God. It's what Jesus has been talking about throughout uh, this sermon on The Mount, the holy things, the things of great value are the things of the kingdom of God. To those who first heard these words, the pigs and the dogs were the outsiders, and perhaps more specifically, those who had explicitly rejected the things of the kingdom. Jesus is clearly not saying that we should not take the gospel to those who don't yet know him. That would contradict what he teaches elsewhere. What I suggest he is saying is that there will be those who are not yet ready to receive this teaching, and there will be those not yet ready to receive uh, correction or admonishment. We cannot go ahead of the Holy Spirit, who is ultimately the one who does these things. But we are to be sensitive to where the Holy Spirit is leading us in our interactions with others, because he may choose to use us. As part of that uh, process and there will be those who reject the things of the kingdom outright and turn against us we need in other words to be wise and discerning and to hear the voice of the Spirit and so to draw all this together to sum up the command to judge is not a requirement to be blind but rather a plea to be generous of spirit. Jesus does not tell us to suspend our critical powers but rather to renounce a presumptuous ambition to be like God and judge others. We are not to be judgmental or condemnatory towards others. We are to look first to our own hearts and get those right and not to be hypocrites. But then we are to show brotherly love towards one another and to help one another as we seek God's kingdom, as we seek to walk with Jesus, as we seek to live the lives that he calls us to. We are first to judge ourselves and find a correction which God's grace can achieve in us as he transforms our hearts. Then we will be able to take the speck out of someone else's eye. The refusal to be judgmental does not mean a refusal to be helpful. But helping one another at our point of need must be done with a spirit of grace and understanding and to be earthed in prayer. Let's pray. Oh God, our Father, we thank you that we can indeed come and call you Father. We can call you our good, good Father. But we hold that intention, Lord, with the fact that one day we will be called to give an account of our lives before you. And Lord, when we are in relationship with you, when we know you, we don't come with fear and trembling because we know that you are merciful, that you are slow to anger, that you forgive our sins as we forgive others their sin against us. Lord, we ask that you would examine us by your spirit, that he would probe our hearts, he would reveal to us our prejudices, our blind spots, that we would set our own house in order, that we might be truly able to help one another, as together we seek first your kingdom, as together we seek to encourage and admonish and build one another up, that we might grow in righteousness, that we might be fit for the kingdom of God. Lord, come, touch our hearts, transform our lives, renew our minds, we pray. And might all this be for your glory, to the honour of your name. Amen.